Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You found the place where we talk horses. I'm your host, John Hare. And I'm Renee Hare. And today we have with us from Dinuba or Kingsburg, depends on which side of the street you're on, we have Michelle Gillis of Gillis Performance Horses. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. You're doing a lot of things uh, for women in horsemanship, and we wanted to talk about that. But first, give us a little bit of background, and how did you arrive at where you are today? Well, I grew up just outside of Porterville, California, and I was one of 10 kids, the youngest of Depression-era parents. And I don't know if anybody remembers back in the day, the K-Tip Traders Market Radio Tradio Show. My dad was a horseman just kind of came with the age I think in the time and when they would have that K-Tip Traders Market on they would sell horses on that show and if anybody's not familiar with it it's a show where you would call into the radio program and somebody would call and say I have three chickens I got three chickens for sale today or they'd call and say I have I have a car motor or a horse and my dad would pick up those horses and he'd get them for pretty cheap and bring them home and we would ride those horses and get them where they were good horses and broke horses and my dad would sell them the saddle and almost with one of the kids with them when people would want them because they were good horses. And I never knew what it was like to ride a good horse because I was always on something bad. I remember as a little kid having this pony that he got on the radio show called Scrappy because it ate scraps. The people fed it like table scraps. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I would take that pony and I'd walk that pony for miles and miles and seem like miles, you know, it's probably just to the end of the field. <laughs> and I'd jump on that thing and I'd hang on and it'd run all the way home. <laughs> and then we'd kick and kick and kick and kick and kick and couldn't get it to go. <laughs> so we'd walk it again all the way to the end of the field and we'd jump on and it would run all the way home. So for years I would ride those little bad horses and I had no idea what it was like to ride a good horse and I kind of always knew I was going to be a horse trainer because I'd play training with my little ponies or with those bad horses as I called them my dad would bring home and then I got older and went to college and centered my college career around horses and I started at COS under Richard Harris and I went out there and I got on a horse and I had no idea what I was doing. I did not know what it was like to ride a horse that was good. Wow. And he'd, he and I'd go round and round. He'd tell me, you're holding on to that horse too much. It's trying to run off because you're holding on to it. And I'm going, no, I'm holding on to it because it's running off. <laughs> and we went, we'd go round and round. But as I started college, that's when I started riding good show horses. I shouldn't say good horses, but, you know, well-trained horses. Well-trained horses. And I started riding these horses. And it took a long time for me to relearn how to ride because I learned at that point I was just sticking on them. Uh, were you just training for people to ride trail horses or were you training for competition? Well, at COS we were training our school horses for competition and for sale. We would prepare them to get ready for sale so they would sell them through the, to the general public because that's how they funded their, their equine program at COS. And what disciplines were you riding in? At that point, we did a lot of trail, western pleasure, rail classes, those kind of things. And then uh, I, since I was good with sticking on horses really good, <laughs> I did a lot of the colts. I would ride a lot of the colts in the program for him when I was at the college level there. And so you also did some Mustang makeovers as well, too. That was as I got older. I graduated, basically went to Fresno State, graduated with an equine science degree, and started off into the real world and Mustang 
programs came up and I started riding the Mustangs for the Mustang makeovers because we, you know, established when I was young, I got good at sticking on those horses and I rode a lot of good Mustangs training. through the Mustang makeovers. Yeah. <laughs> you learn how to stay on really, really good. And I, I started riding the Mustangs for the Mustang makeovers and, and, you know, I found out that honestly, Mustangs were pretty good horses. They didn't, they didn't really ever buck or, or kick you or bite you. Once in a while you got one, but once they figured out what you were asking of them, they just wanted to do it to please you. They, they had no reason to want to come up and hurt you. They just wanted you to either leave them alone or they figured out you weren't going to hurt them and they were fine and they were easy to handle. I always kind of feel Mustangs are a little easier to get to than quarter horses because I think our, our domesticated horses learn people habits and bad <laughs> habits from people where the Mustangs don't have bad habits. You just right. teach them the habits they have. It's like a clean slate. There and, you go. There you and go. just in case you haven't noticed, we're sitting outside her riding <laughs> arena, which is not too far from an airport of some sort because these jets keep going over. So <laughs> yeah. I, I feel it adds to the ambience. There of you go. There. Yeah. Did the Mustang makeovers help you establish your training business? It did. It did. Mustangs taught me a lot. I learned a lot. I've had some good mentors over the years too, but the Mustangs have been well, probably one of the big mentors I've had it's they taught me a new way of doing things because you can't just make a Mustang do anything you can't take a wild horse and force them you have to teach them why they want to do it for you so you can't just be one of those heavy-handed type things or or you 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 just got to think outside the box when you're teaching a Mustang how to do stuff Right, and they're used to fighting for their lives. So they are, they are. So you gotta, you gotta show them how, how it's not a, a flight or fight situation with us. We just have to teach them that it's a reward situation when they, they do correct for you. Right. You did mention that you had a, a lot of influential horsemen share their knowledge with you. Could you name a couple of those and tell us what you learned from some of them? Well, you know, I started with Richard Harris, who who taught me that I didn't know everything. <laughs> it's <laughs> always good to have someone yes, like that. Yes, and then then um, we, we lived in Tehachapi for a little while, and there was a gentleman up there named Villa West. For some reason, he was a grumpy old guy, but he sure took me under his wing, and he really taught me a lot about training and doing it softly and that people have what he always called hurry up itis mm-hmm. and that we can't set our time frames it's the horse's time frame and we have to be willing to be flexible to work on that time frame and some horses can pick things up a lot faster than others and it just takes them a little longer and it doesn't mean that they're bad horses they're dumb horses they just it just means that they have a processing part of their brain that just takes them a little longer to understand what it is we're asking of them mm-hmm. and then I worked a lot with Charles Wilhelm Charles Wilhelm has been a great influence taught me a lot about myself about equitation, horsemanship, about the business part of it. He's always there, a phone call away when I need him. He's been just a, a rock. He, I remember the very first time I talked to him on the phone, and he sent me DVDs for free to help me out with a cold starting <laughs> project I had. And then when I moved back from California, we, did, we have moved a lot with my husband's job, and when I moved back to California, I was doing a super horse program. And I came out of the arena, and he says to me, you stay on real good. Can I teach you to ride now? (laughs) (laughs) And I drove all the way up to Castro Valley two days a week to work with him. The very first time I drove up there, he took my horse out of my hand, and and he kind of tugged on a little bit, and he handed it back to me and said, this horse is not halter broke. And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? This horse isn't halter broke. I just walked it over here. Didn't you see me? And he said, I bet you that horse pulls back. And I went, surprised? Yeah, he does. And he goes, I want you to take it home and fix it. 
And, you know, so he never quite gave me the answer. He gave me the tools to find the right answer. So he really, really helped me a lot. And then I've worked a lot with Les Vote. Les Vote has always been, been really good about helping me in my cow horse journey, which really has been been a short road but a long road at the same time and then a good friend of mine who passed away that Les introduced me to named C.I. Humphrey and an original bridle horse guy he was just a great guy gave me one of my favorite horses that I ride my first bridle horse that I trained and then I work a lot with John Ward right now and that's just been phenomenal and just learning from John and his patience and kind kind way of working with the horse and then also explaining it to you where you really understand it has been really great and I have to say in the last two years since I started the cow horse journey my horsemanship has taken a whole whole new level because it really has to for me to get into the show ring with these people <laughs> you know I'm living right here in California where 10 of our million dollar earners and top cow horse riders are I compete in the oh ring gosh. with 10 yeah. of wow. the world's greatest cow horse guys and First couple times I went in there behind those guys, I was nervous as heck. But now I go in there and I just know, you know, I, I go behind Philip Rawls and they call me Mitch. And I'm going, yeah, he's going to lay down some good tracks for me to follow. So I know how to make my circles look better. <laughs> so. One of the things you mentioned when you were talking about Charles Wilhelm was he taught you not only the horsemanship part, but also the business side of horse training. And that's something we don't think about. I mean, if you're going to be a horse trainer at you, you, there is a business side, and you have to look at it as a business and keep all those ducks in a row. You might be really good with a horse, but if you can't keep the business side up, then... And the business side, I would say, has been probably my biggest challenge because, you know, there's there's certain expectations with, with when you're dealing with people. You know, you get you think horses are hard to, to work with. Sometimes you get you, you got to learn how, how to work with a lot of different people and a lot of different personalities and 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 how how to make those people thrive. One person might thrive off me yelling at them where the other person would shut down. You can't do that. You, you got to know when to push somebody and when to stand there and help walk a slow path with them and then you know the, the, there's the side of keeping things running making your place a five-star facility for people to want to come I always tell a lot of people that I sometimes believe horse training is 90% being someone's psychologist and 10% <laughs> riding their horse it really you know you just it it, it you gotta have a little bartender uh, in you. Yeah, huh? yeah, you do, you do. It's, it, it's, it's, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, well, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You gotta communicate. Communication, and you used to be one of my worst things, but I've learned you've gotta communicate with those owners because if you don't communicate with them, then you're not gonna have a good program. And then the other thing that Charles taught me is no matter what, every horse that comes in is somebody's hopes and dreams. That right. horse may not be what I dream of, but it's somebody's hopes and dreams, and it should be treated as such. You can't just go, oh, that's someone's trail horse. And then, you know, don't give it as much attention as someone's cow horse yeah. because, you know, that's my journey. Their dream is to ride that horse safely down the trail. And so I try to treat every horse that comes in here like it's the next million-dollar horse and it's someone's dream horse that a great they're point going of view. to go yeah. and achieve their dreams with. Mm -hmm. And it's my job to help them achieve those dreams. And it's important to note, too, that as we've been doing this show for nine years, we're in our ninth year now, and I've talked to a bunch of trainers and said, you know, we've got one horse, you know, and how does that recreational rider with one horse gain additional horsemanship knowledge? Well, you just rattled off 
almost a half a dozen different trainers. And that's how you also can pick up stuff, too, because they'll tell you how different horse trainers handle different things. And then you have to make the ultimate decision of what you're going to do with a particular horse that's in front of you, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I, I kind of feel like I've got a program down now. Well, when I mentioned Super Horse before, the mm-hmm. program of Super Horse Charles was promoting was most people are like you guys, recreational horse that does a little bit of everything. Right. So a super horse was just that. It was mm-hmm. the one horse that can go and maybe sh- work a calf and then go do a trail mm-hmm. and then go do a parade and then go do a raining pattern and then a trail pattern. That's what a super horse was, is is that horse that can do a little bit of everything. It may not be the greatest at one event. It's good at a lot of events. Mm-hmm. And that's what the majority of everybody owns. The majority of people own the everyday let's have fun and go do something different with our horse and just love to ride yeah and so the foundation i try to put on that horse is yes it may be a cow horse that's going to go show but that horse also gets out on the trail it needs to see the things out in the world Mm -hmm. like a trail horse does or maybe they're going to go do a parade or they're going to go do a sorting today but they're going to try to go cut tomorrow so i try to look at every horse even if it's a show horse that comes in that it's going to do a little bit of everything and make it as safe and as functional as possible for every rider. Michelle, you're a trainer who likes to put a spotlight on women in the horse world. And for women with confidence issues, you have a program called Ride Like a Girl. Tell us about that. Basically what it is, is a lot of women, they're moms, they're the wives. They they have to take care of the house. They don't have time for horses. Right. Or they had a major accident and they want to get back on, but they're fearful because mm-hmm. of they've been hurt. Or they, you know, they've, they've got some age on them and they don't want to get hurt. So the Ride Like a Girl came about is helping people get in the saddle, back in the saddle, and do it without fear. With helping confidence. Helping them overcome yes. the fear of being able to get in and conquer those milestones that they need to go to the next step, but giving right. them the tools to be safe at the same right. time. So that's where I came up with that. And so, Michelle, the Ride Like a Girl program, is that something that you do here at your own facility? I do, or I travel unfortunately due to covid the last oh, yeah not so much yeah. yeah not so much so i do more here but we try to take and we've had some men do my ride like a girl program oh, we, do, we have we have so oh, sure. we've adapted we've confidence. adapted to ride like a girl and usually the one guy we say and him too you know we have his name and we say and and wade too or and joe too you know yeah. so so in better times a group mm-hmm. could have you come to them yeah yes. put on a a, a day yeah, i've done like days. a we'll call it and i've done the pomona Oh, equine? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I've done the, um, what is the Pomona? Used to be equine affair. Equine affair, I think yeah, because they've changed, changed it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so I was trying to remember. Yeah, so yeah, the, the, but, but I've done I've done the big, big horse, horse fairs, I guess is what they would be called. Oh, very so. good. Yeah. Very good. And then, and then you're also involved with the Real American Cowgirl Project. Yeah. Tell us about that. So the Real American Cowgirl Project that I, I, it came up, it's just kind of been a brainstorm thing that I've been doing, is I feel like in today's time that there's a big group of people who just don't have a place for women who, that are women, the ones that are still a little bit of the traditional where they, they like to support their husband and, and, you know, cook dinner and still, you know, dress and look pretty, but can go out and rope a cow and work a horse and go in. And when she's done, cook dinner, clean the house and make sure the kids are taken care (laughs) of. And 
they they're they're trying to erase that kind of a, a of a of a female in this world and the one that still has faith in god and wants to try to do things that are good for the world and be a good role model for not just their children but other females out there and so i've kind of been thinking about it that we're not a pronoun we're we're not just <laughs> someone's pronoun and we're also not we're not this entity that a man can just go change into you can't be a female i'm sorry i and, and if it offends anybody i'm not trying to but a lot of these people that want to be a female just doesn't know what it's like to have to do the traditional female things and be a real a, a real female so i feel like we're getting to a point where there's no great role models for young girls out there the ones that want to be the one that runs the household and holds down the fort while their husbands are, are out and about working and still go out and help their husband, rope the cows, move the cows, vaccinate the cows, go in, cook dinner, raise the kids and believe in God and get their families rounded up and taken to church. And there's just not that role model for people to look up to anymore. And it's became almost like it's taboo for us to be that way. And I don't want people to think that. I want to make a place where we can spotlight females that are great role models for other women who want to be like that. And even though it's going to be geared more towards women in an agricultural setting, you're hoping that this becomes more universal. Yes, yes. And you know, and it doesn't even have to necessarily even be about the the girl who can go rope a cow. The 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 lady who can get out there and grow a garden and tend a garden and you know, make make these things happen for their family. Mm-hmm. Or the mom that's getting out there and she's taking care of her kids and she's a single mom and she's going to work and she's working two jobs and and she gets home and then she still, you know, gets their homework done. She gets the kids bathed. She gets them gets them to bed and then she finds a little <laughs> bit of time to maybe get a bubble bath for herself even something like that for women to have that person that they can look up to or maybe even go you know I don't know her but I can reach out to her through social media and have a support system I'm a little bit unclear is it because I heard you talk about photography on your Facebook post is it a is it a photography book is it a Facebook group we're going to start out with a website and a social media group and I want to maybe do a coffee table book spotlighting so people can have these women to look at, you know, in, in a book to see strong role models. So to start with, I have already reached out to this young girl. She's, she's a young girl who lives in Nevada. She has a large family. She grew up in a cow camp. And for those who don't know what a cow camp is, her family moved from ranch to ranch, branding, roping, and rounding up cattle. And they have a strong religious faith. And she is 21 now. She's married. She's out there working. She's making her marriage work. She's still supporting her family. She has a strong faith in God. And so I want to spotlight her with photography to show what she does on an everyday basis. What it's like just to be in her life. You know, so we want to take some great pictures of what it's like to be in her life. She doesn't necessarily have to be on a horse. And we, we put these pictures up and we tell her story. And then other people can come and see exactly 
that there are other people out there like them. They're, they're not a minority, that there are other women who think the same way they do. Or there's men who, who, who are supporting that lifestyle too as well. I'm hoping to get it started here in the next couple weeks and it could be anybody from a 12 year old girl who's doing something great out there that will benefit to to the 80 year old grandma who has a story to tell about the way things are and how she she helped her family achieve the things that they've done so it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be you know just a young person either because right. everybody's got a story to tell and those positive stories or their struggle stories are a story that might inspire somebody else to do something great with their exploring their strengths yes exactly yes. the more role models out there the better i think good role models exactly <laughs> right. you know we're not all going to be these pop stars out there that, or nfl that, players <laughs> exactly exactly and you know what to me i you know i don't want to downplay what they do they do a great job with what they do but you know there's, there's other people out there that have been a lot stronger, who've made a lot more work with a lot less. So right. that, and that's what and I done think. done good. <laughs> yes. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that. Yeah. And I want to try to bring that back to the spotlight so people remember and know and know that they're not alone. Just a lot of everyday heroes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Great. So we like to have, as part of each show, some sort of horsemanship type advice. Your clientele ranges from people who show to people who ride trail horse or have confidence problems. Do you find that there's one area or one tip or trick that might help the average horse owner build a better relationship with their horse? You know, it's time. You just got to you just got to take the time. You got to you got to make the time for your horse. It's time. Build the relationship with your horse. It's it, you can't expect to go out for 5 seconds and spend 5 seconds with the horse and and then have this wonderful it's relationship romantic notion with them. Yeah. of love. Yeah, you got it. You got to take the time and it's not your time. Mm -hmm. It's the horse's time. You got to take that time with the horse for the horse to be able to build the relationship with you. What would you say to the person who says, "Oh, but Michelle, I've got a job, I've got a husband, I've got kids. I got I I don't, where am I going to find the time?" You know, it, it it's hard. It really Suck it up, buttercup. It, it, well, you know, in, in, in a sense, yes. It's a, in a sense, yes. It's hard because you know, I I understand because you know, I've got my whole thing going too. So, you just got to figure out where you can sacrifice something. Take the time maybe you're on a social media mm -hmm. and, and go outside with your horse put the phone down go outside maybe wake up a little bit earlier maybe wake up 45 minutes earlier than you usually mm -hmm. do or go go to bed a little bit later or you know when you're done you're done with dinner and you you got 20 minutes of quiet time that you want to sit down on the couch and unwind take that and go unwind with your horse right. you know it doesn't have to be watching a tv program you can go out and just take that time to bond and spend <laughs> with your horse because trust me I, I i know from experience once you you decide to change the habits of you know watching that tv for 30 minutes a t 30 minute tv program and you go outside with the horse you're going to feel much happier because that fresh air the way a horse yeah, smells yeah. and then and then the love and the soft knickers of a horse just <laughs> makes you feel so much better than whatever program was on yeah. TV. Better than The Bachelor. That's right. That's right. I worked with a gal who would every single day on her lunch hour go out to visit her horse at the boarding stable. We worked in an office, and every lunch hour she went out to visit with her horse. See, and she she, yep. she made that time. Right. And, and you know, and I'm not I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying that you know you just up and change one day, but you try to make the the mental effort to do it. 
and it'll become a habit. It mm -hmm. takes some time to become a habit, but once you make that little effort, then things start changing and it feels better. Mm -hmm. I was so much hoping you would say that because it's not a, a lack of time problem. It's a, the lack of time allocation, time management. And if you do start managing your time, you find that you can pull a few minutes for here and there, and it adds up with the amount of time that you get with your horse. And that always seems to get paid back like tenfold. The minutes I spend with my horse are just just kind of take you out of the crazy world that we live in today. So I think that if you work on time management, that is an excellent answer right there. Yeah, it really, it really is. You know, one of the things I do for myself is there's these videos on the internet that I like to watch. It's a training program called Rain Cow Horse Training Online. And, you know, I used to think, oh, man, when am I going to watch these things? I, I paid for the subscription. <laughs> so then, you know, when I, I get ready to go to bed at night and I thought, oh, you know, I'm looking through and scrolling through Facebook. I go, oh, instead of scrolling through Facebook... <laughs> And looking at what everybody else is doing out there, I can be watching these these rain cow horse training videos. Right. And so, you know, for a little bit, I go on Facebook and then I go, oh, wait, I want to watch those videos. And now it's second nature for me to go to bed and watch these videos and not be scrolling through on Facebook. And, you know, and I know a lot of people like their social media to connect with the world, but let's cut the time back a little bit right. or, you know, just, just, just share, just trade it off, trade off a little bit of your social media time for your horse time. Mm -hmm. Really pays back. Well, this has been great, Michelle. We really uh, enjoy it. We're going to get to ride in her arena right now, but before we go, if someone wants to contact you about horse training, horse advice, anything, your Ride Like a Girl, the original, or the Real American Cowgirl project, where can we send them? You can send them to my website, which is michelle at mg-ph.com, and they can contact me through there. My phone number's there, email as well. They can also contact me through social media if they need to, but usually it's better to call me. You get a hold of me better if you call or text me. And, you know, as for the American Cowgirl Project, I, I'm, I'm always looking for, you know, that person I don't know about. If you know somebody and you think that they fit what we're talking about, send them my way so that way we, we know who they are and we can contact them. And if you're looking to get any training or help or advice, I answer everybody. I don't, you know, I don't care if you're a client or not. You message me. I'll try to answer you the best of my knowledge. So if you have a question, just send it my way and I will, I'll do my best to answer it for you. Well, great. We appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule to spend it with us. And we also appreciate the stuff that you're doing to promote women in the horsemanship industry. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. That will do it for another episode. Thanks to Michelle Gillis and Michelle Gillis Performance Horses for inviting us out to her ranch and sharing ways to promote women in the horse industry. She has a great facility in Kingsburg, California. We rode with her after the interview and she's hosting a Less Vote Clinic in March and we're looking forward to attending. I'm hoping to get some time with Les and share it right here on the podcast. Subscribe on whatever service you find us on and you'll never miss an episode. There's a lot of talk about the real world and what's happening in it. But as horse owners, we know the real world is at the stable. To see the show notes with links to Michelle and her projects, plus photos, go to woepodcast.com. If you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest the guest, I'd love to hear it. Send an email to john at woepodcast.com. 
or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Woe Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. I've been improving my YouTube channel, John Hare and Horses. Check it out. My goal is to share as much stuff about horses and horsemanship as I can. The more we know, the better it will be for all our horses. And that's what it's all about. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.